Bearded. Thanks for being on the channel with me today. Thank you so much for having me, Brubert. I really appreciate it. I've been really enjoying your content for a while now. I mean, getting to kind of peek behind the curtain and, and see all the industry side stuff is really fascinating. I'm glad. I'm glad. Yeah. Um, I've been looking at your channel, too. I see you made some grapefruit cello. That oh, sounds really good. It is. It is. Yeah. I actually, I watched your limoncello video um, and I took a lot of notes on that and then a lot of other research, but actually it was your video that got me started thinking down that road of trying to do these different cellos. So thank you. Oh. Oh, okay. Oh, all right. That's good to hear. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. So I just want to talk a little bit about, you know, your obsession with skills and how you got started with your YouTube channel. So, um, yeah, can you just tell me a bit about your background and how your channel started? Yeah, um, I've always been kind of one of those people that picks up a hobby for 10 minutes and then I put it down and go to something else. I'm like a little magpie. Go, oh, this is a shiny thing. Let me go to that. Let me go to that. <laughs> and kind of a jack of all trades and master of none. And uh, it was weird. My uh, uh, relative on my father's side used to brew wine. And that, you know, my dad just told me the story offhandedly at a, a Christmas party one time. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. So I started doing a little Googling on how to make your own wine. And um, then I discovered, oh, you can you can brew your own beer. This is cool. And uh, so I did that several times. And then I just kind of, I, I tend to dive into research mode really, really deep. And so like I can spend months researching one topic just because it's fascinating. It's like if you're ever on Wikipedia and you see that, you know, the, you type in the one topic that you really need information on and then there's a link. Oh, and you're like, oh, what's, what's that? And then you go to the next link and there's another one that's interesting and you keep going. Um, so I would end up, basically I was writing these, these, these long documents to, to document all of my research on just cider or a beer style or something. And I was like, this is kind of like, kind of want to share this, you know? And so I, I was on, um, I was on Reddit. I started researching distilling and I was on Reddit and, um, I just got started talking with this dude named Jesse <laughs> and, uh, we were both kind of chatting back and forth on uh, a, a post <laughs> on, on the firewater, uh, section of Reddit. And then, uh, he sent me a DM and he was like, Hey, I'm kind of thinking about starting a YouTube channel. And I was like, Holy crap. So am I. And so we went back and forth, uh, just kind of brainstorming ideas and things we had learned about out of YouTube and all that. And uh, then uh, I just I, I filmed three videos in a row and I, I hadn't posted them yet. I was, uh, you know, trying to be careful and edit things. Uh, I was using free software for editing. I still am. Um, and finally, I just pulled the trigger. Uh, I think Jesse started videos on his channel first and I went maybe a month later or something like that. But, um, yeah, that was pretty much it. And 
so anything that kind of comes across my my path as far as interesting to my magpie brain, it might end up on the channel. What's the next thing I picked up? How to start fires, like how to start campfires from okay. from you know with just sticks. And so things like that were, were kind of kicking around in my brain. I was learning to do things like that and learning brewing and learning about distilling all at the same time when I started the YouTube channel. So I was like, mm -hmm. I'll just put everything on there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh, it quickly became very clear that um, channels with too much varied content, unless they start out that way and get a big following for that kind of just like everybody doesn't care that you're doing 500 different things and that you don't stick to a specific niche. Um, it's a lot harder to get any sort of following when people really just want to see one kind of content or another kind of content. And uh, I'm, I'm sure you discovered the same thing. Like uh, I remember you were talking to Jesse and you mentioned your cooking videos didn't do very well. Yeah. Mine didn't either. I have a couple of cooking videos and they're still, they never went above like a certain point. And like people don't even, even though I keep gaining new subscribers, nobody goes through my list and says, oh, cool. He's got a video on how to do barbecue ribs. Let me go check that out too. Nobody does that anymore. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, I think um, that's, that's the thing you, you do kind of get um, when you start a YouTube channel, you kind of get um, funneled into what what your viewers want to see i mean the 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 ideas are still it, you know it, it's it's what i'm interested in but um you know i i like doing other things too but my viewers don't necessarily want to watch it so uh what ends up on the channel is brewing and distilling nothing else really because yeah. they don't they the guys that the, the guys and girls um, I think there's like three women that watch my channel. You're one of them. Uh, <laughs> you know, you look at the YouTube statistics, it's pretty low <laughs> on, the, on the female yeah. gender, but, um, you know, that's, uh, that's what they prefer. So that's what I put on that channel. Yeah. Same. I hear you. I hear you. It's like, there's more to me than just this, but right. okay, I guess this is a channel about brewing and distilling now. So we were talking earlier and you said uh, George from Barley and Hops really helped you out in the beginning and you go to him for like a lot of advice about distilling and brewing as well. Right? Yeah. Yeah. George got me started. Um, you know, I did, I did a lot of research um, just on, on forums, brewing forums and distilling forums. And uh, then I was like, well, let me check out YouTube. And at the mm -hmm. time that I got started, this was 2015, 2016. Um, George was really the only, he was the only guy talking about brewing and distill. Well, he was the only guy talking about distilling. There were some good brewing channels. Excuse me. There were some good brewing channels at the time, uh, but he was the only guy talking about distilling with really consistent delivery of information. It wasn't mm. something that was handed down from my pappy. It was, this is the process. Here's the mm. science behind it. Here's how you wire up a, a controller, or this is how a condenser works. This, you know, it was, it was real practical information about the process of distilling and the equipment involved in distilling. 
And everybody else on YouTube at the time was just kind of doing uh, little projects in their garage or uh, unfortunately giving out a lot of in incorrect or inaccurate or unsafe information. Um, mm -hmm. But George was consistent in that uh, the information he was giving out was accurate and safe. Now, I'm not, it's not to say that there aren't different ways of doing things. Uh, George is the first to admit that. Um, and that him saying that over and over, he would say, uh, this is not the only way, this is George's way. And every time he said something like that, I would be like, okay, well, let me see what other methods there are for this process that I want to learn about. And it was, it was his willingness to share and his, uh, his manner of delivery. He reminded me of my favorite uh, high school chemistry teacher, you know, just uh, the guy who, who gives you the information in a really practical, easy to understand kind of way. And uh, it didn't hurt that he would occasionally wear uh, those uh, smocks. He had these little smock shirts that he would wear. Uh, so he looked like he was almost in a lab coat. <laughs> but uh, he, um, he really kind of set the stage for, um, for distilling content on YouTube and consistent, actual educative distilling content on YouTube. Without George, I don't know uh, where Jesse and I would be. I mean, I, I don't know that I would, I would have nearly as much of a, I don't know. I, it's hard. It's hard to picture getting as far as I've gotten without George kind of kicking down the door first and beating the path through the woods. Mm -hmm. Um, because mm -hmm. he, George doesn't care, it, you know, as far as the legality of it, you watch his channel, um, you know, he's in the same state that I am and the, the law is the same where he lives. Um, but he doesn't care because I mean, honestly, you know, I, I mentioned that to him one time I said, George, you know. Your, your channel's just, you're just all out there. He said, all out there doing what? And I said, distilling, you know, with the law and everything. He said, how do you know that's what I'm doing? Maybe I put water in my still. You don't know. Unless you're standing right here, you don't know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of his philosophy. And uh, I, I respect that. He's a, he's a braver man than I am. <laughs> Well, it must be okay. I mean, his channel's been going on for so long. So. Oh, yeah. He's uh, well over 100,000. I think he's got like 120, 130,000 subscribers now. Mm -hmm. It's fantastic to see him grow that fast. Mm -hmm. But I was just talking to someone, and then they told me like, oh, it's illegal to even own a still. Like some places, uh, some places it is like you can't even have a still, even if it was purpose built for water distillation or essential yeah. oil distillation, um, you're not even allowed to own one. Um, so, um, you know, that's just one of those things you have to kind of decide for yourself whether or not you're going to fracture that law or not, you know. And can, and can I ask, like, has anyone ever come to you? Like person, personally and said, hey, I want to see your distilling setup. No, 
Yeah. Or just like, mm, and I don't, no I don't have a distilling setup, so you know, I. Okay. That's the thing. I I have to separate myself because I don't feel like I'm as lucky as George. Uh, okay. I, <laughs> I mean, I feel like if George went and bought a lottery ticket, he would probably win. Um, <laughs> just because, you know, I mean, he's got a guardian angel on it for uh, for that. I mean, it's, it, maybe that's overstating it. It's. In terms of illegality, um, it is a federal crime in the United States to distill, mm -hmm. even if it is only for personal consumption and you never intend to give it away or sell it or barter. Um, just the act mm -hmm. of distilling itself is illegal. It's a federal crime mm -hmm. that supersedes all state laws uh, in this instance. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they, they go back and forth, mm -hmm. but that's confusing. But uh, not in this case. In this case, it's just like marijuana legislation. Federally, mm -hmm. it is illegal to grow or use marijuana in the United States, Colorado, California, and like 20 other states or something. It's at the state level, it's totally legal. But what people forget is that if the federal authorities want to come in, the U.S. federal government wants to come in to Colorado and say, hey, yeah. guess what? We're arresting everybody that works in these dispensaries and we're seizing all your money and we're seizing all your marijuana. They can do that. They can absolutely do that. So yeah, it's just, you know, the, the, the state is playing a game to, you know, we're saying this is not legal or we're saying this is legal in our state of Colorado. And if the federal government wants to do something about it, we will give them no assistance whatsoever. We're not going to let them use our police officers or any logistics or anything to help them because we think this law is unjust and, and we've changed our state law to reflect our beliefs. Um, but the federal government still has the authority to do whatever they want. Uh, distilling is exactly the same. If I want to distill in my home, I, can, I have one option. Um, well, I have two options. One, I can break the law mm -hmm. uh, and put myself in legal jeopardy. Yeah. Or two, <clears throat> I can apply for what's called a federal fuel producer's permit. Mm -hmm. A federal fuel producer's permit allows you to produce uh, ethanol on your property, but it is not for consumption. It has to be used for fuel, meaning as soon as it comes out of the still, it has to be adulterated with something, something that makes it mm -hmm. un. un unpotable so that you can't drink it. If you drink it, you die or you get sick. Uh, so you have to pour like a fuel additive, you know, something that would be fine for your car and damaging to you. Um, you know, methanol is a perfect example. Um, so, uh, you know, you may wonder, well, why don't you just do that? Why don't you just get a fuel producer's permit? Well, in order to do that, first you have to get permission from your city and your state that you're going to do that. Um, so you're not in violation of any local laws. And then you have to sign an affidavit that says that federal ATF officers can come into your home to inspect your facility and inspect your product to make sure you're, it's, it's been adulterated. And that seems reasonable, right? But they don't need a warrant. They can just knock on the door and come right inside and look wherever they want because your 
your home, everywhere that uh, that touches that distilling is is considered your facility. <laughs> well, what if I don't want you going in my kid's bedroom or you know in my bathroom? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. your your home is your is your private space, and I don't think anyone should give up their constitutional right against unlawful and unwarranted search and seizure. I'm not a crazy conspiracy theorist or anything like that, but I am a big believer in being granted all the rights of the Constitution. If the Constitution Mm -hmm. says you're not allowed to come inside my house without a warrant, then I'm not going to sign a piece of paper that says, no, never mind, go ahead. You know, it just seems like it's a philosophical problem, but it's one that I Mm -hmm. refuse to, to bend on. You know, mm. and, uh, you know, a lot of people are like, well, you know, distilling is such a low level thing. Most people don't even know if it's actually illegal. And that's true. I mean, you could talk to 10 different cops, uh, local police officers, and they will have 10 different opinions about it mm-hmm. because it's not something that they look for. It's not something that's on their radar at all. Oh, some guy's making whiskey in his garage. Cool. You know, or I don't care. Um, it's only, it only comes to their attention when that, that same person brewing, making whiskey in their garage is then going and selling it because selling it without a license is highly illegal. You know, it's the distilling is one part, but then the dickheads who go and they sell it and, you know, they moonshine or they bootleg, um, those guys are, are the ones that really screwed it up for everybody. It, I, I fully support legalizing hobby distilling for personal consumption. I do not support legalizing hobby distilling so that you can then go and sell it to your neighbors. That should never happen. Yeah. Distilling is licensed and regulated because the product that you make could be deadly. You know, yeah. it's, it's just the same exact thing as having a, a health department inspections for a restaurant. Yeah, you can go start a restaurant anywhere you want. Uh, you can even start a kitchen in in your in your house and and sell catered goods, but you will be subject to regulation and inspection to make sure that the products that you're selling are healthful, you know, healthy for humans to consume. And so, you know, people that want to illegally sell alcohol without paying taxes on it and without it being inspected. I am not for that at all. So moonshiners and bootleggers, that should always be illegal. Um, but if I just want to do it in my garage for myself, that's it's such a it's such a close cousin to the currently legal home brewing and home winemaking. Yeah. That I'm just like, why is this still illegal? And yeah. I think it's because uh, when they legalized home brewing in the 70s, it was 78, I think. I think there was still a, a substantial criminal element uh, that was using bootlegging for their kind of money laundering. Um, but now it's drugs. You know, if there's a criminal organization, they don't use bootlegging to launder their money they, uh, or to make money. They use drugs and, you know, whatever other criminal activities that make a lot more revenue. Um if anybody's making money with illegal moonshine, it's some guy who wants to buy a better car or whatever. At this point, it's not such a widespread problem. 
Um, so really there's no onus to keep it illegal. It's not dangerous. If you have even a modicum of training, um, it's, it's not poisonous. If you have even a modicum of five minutes of explanation about how to make cuts, um, there's, it's more dangerous to fry a turkey, quite frankly. Um, I think the, the statistics in New Zealand for house fires for the past 20 mm -hmm. years or so that they've had legal hobby distilling, um, yeah. there have been more house fires due to unattended candles and people falling asleep with lit cigarettes in their hand than there mm -hmm. have been due to uh, distilling. Nobody's still explodes because people that are into the hobby that decide to have a still, they, they know better. They, they learn a little bit and it only takes a tiny bit of knowledge to do it safely. Um, so yeah, it's, I think it's just, uh, it's frustrating, but, um, you know, we almost, we almost got legalized in 2015. There was a law that was uh, in, in Congress, and it was going to go through. But the main law that it was kind of embedded in was uh, a big tax bill. And so they dropped it. They scrapped the big tax bill to redraft some stuff. And the section about hobby distilling, um, it didn't get put back in, the new bill. So it just got left out. And mm. uh, the only way we got it in there the first time was uh, there was a, a guy that owns a uh, – distilling he, he manufactures distillers um mm -hmm. here in texas brew house america i think um he was paying out of his own pocket like sixty thousand dollars for a lobbyist to go and draft this legislation and mm -hmm. put it in front of congressmen and say what do you think about this is this something you can get behind what do you think about mm -hmm. this is this something you can get behind and uh you know they did their job but uh, once the bill got uh shit canned uh, he was like, I, I give up. I can't do it again. I don't have the money to do it again. So, uh, you know, the Hobby Distillers Association that was kind of organizing all of this is just it just dried up. So I don't know how we're going to get legalized in the future. But if I win the lottery, I am going to get a lobbyist. <laughs> wow. So does that mean there's no big push right now in the home no. distilling community? Mm -hmm. No, nothing. no. And I think that's mostly due to the fact that guys, uh, guys and girls that are in it are, uh, that are into the hobby. They're kind of my age, you know, they're in their forties, mm -hmm. uh, maybe fifties and sixties. I mean, yeah, sure. There's people in their twenties and thirties doing it too. But, um, Mostly the biggest demographic is folks that are my age and have about this much gray hair. And um, they tend to have a house. They tend to have kids. They tend to have property and jobs and a community that they care about and they don't want to get in trouble with the law. So they don't want to risk outing themselves by joining an organization or signing their name to a petition in order to get it legalized. They would rather just... Mm -hmm. You know, the, the buzzwords for the hobby are be discreet and be safe. And yeah. so they would rather stick to that than stick their neck out and possibly get in trouble. And yeah. I completely get that. Um, I When I started doing this, uh, researching this hobby, I did not own a house. Now I own a house. 
And, um, you know, I, I've been married to my wife for almost 20 years and, um, you know, so I have a lot to lose if, uh, uh, someone were to, uh, try to prosecute me for distilling, um, they wouldn't find anything. There's no way to prove that I've ever distilled anything. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, hypothetically, it looks like that's what I'm doing. So if anyone ever, if any legal person, if any uh, law enforcement person ever had a problem with what I'm doing, they could make my life very uncomfortable. And, uh, it is for that reason that, um, I think this law should be overturned. Nobody should lose their, their livelihood and their, their, you know, their rights for doing something that used to be legal before prohibition. Mm -hmm. It was legal to distill in your home up to a certain amount, just like you could homebrew wine and beer. And then when prohibition came along, they killed everything. And then, you know, it was after prohibition was repealed, it was still illegal to homebrew wine and beer for decades. I mean, from 1933 to 1978, it was still illegal. Mm -hmm. People did it anyway. But, uh, you know... We just, uh, the, the hobby distillers got left behind. And I think that's uh, yeah. very tragic. Yeah. So we keep things hypothetical here and uh, we let the liquor fairy handle the delicate work. And, uh, you know, I, I leave a, a big bucket of mash under my pillow at night. And uh, then when I wake up the next morning, there's all these jars of, of liquor on my counter in the kitchen. It's, it's fantastic. I love my liquor fairy. You're liquor fairy. All right. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Well, yeah, that was long-winded. I'm I'm a little too passionate about legalization, so I'm. Uh, don't 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 worry. You can cut as much of that out as you need to. <laughs> no, it was fine. It was good. I was just like listening to you. I didn't even have to ask anything. You're just just like going on. I completely and on. I, I completely it. lost track of time. I was just like. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> oh, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um, yeah, but I would. I do have some yeah, give subscriber me some questions. questions. All right. So, uh, Callum Bins asked, and I'm just going to read this out verbatim. Where do you check which materials are safe for distilling, and for those metals that need cleaning to be made safe, how do you know when they are clean enough? Um, the best place to go for talking about safe materials to use in hobby distilling, uh, homedistiller.org, homedistiller.org, go to the forum and there's actually a, uh, there's a section in there about, um, acceptable materials to use. And the main thing is, uh, my, my personal rule is what does the industry use? If the industry doesn't use silicone gaskets, I don't use silicone gaskets. If the industry doesn't use uh, brass in any of their fittings, I don't use brass. Mm -hmm. um, okay. As far as cleaning, uh, the best thing to do is to to clean your, your still parts with uh, something like PBW. It's a good brewer's wash to get them, you know, free of scum and stuff like that but when it comes to getting rid of corrosion you've got to use an acid so um george did uh george has a a mixture called 551 that he mixes up it's i think 500 mils of hydrogen peroxide 50 mils of water 
and an ounce of uh, citric acid. And that usually will eat any sort of corrosion off of your copper. Um, Cause you see posted on, on uh, the firewater section of Reddit all the time, someone would get blue distillate because they didn't clean the inside of their copper well enough. Uh, after they ran something that was probably acidic, something like a rum or, or, or brandy. And uh, then they end up getting these blue deposits inside their pipes that they don't know about until they run it. And their distillate comes out looking like Windex. And they're like, is this safe to drink? No, no, don't drink that. <laughs> Clean your still. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, 551 is really before. good. Yeah, it's. I think it's happened to everybody. Um, I didn't get blue distillate uh, in any of the stuff that I've seen from the liquor fairy, but uh, what I did get was um, they brought all of the copper parts for me to clean. So, uh, you know, the liquor fairy took apart the still and brought me all the pieces, and I put it in some 551, and I got this big bucket of blue stuff within like five minutes it just all turned blue green and i was like what is this a fish tank <laughs> all these copper pieces and all this blue stuff floating around oh i was like wow that's that needed to be cleaned sooner <laughs> next question from haji e5 haji what is your <laughs> what is your opinion on bubble plates are they worth the investment? Oh, yeah. Um, I think they're fantastic. And I'm jealous of anyone that has one. And I would say absolutely it's worth the investment. Um, I, I don't have one. I haven't used one, Haji. But I have studied them for a long time. I even looked into uh, how to make, make a, a whole bubble plate set up myself. And... Um, it's currently outside of my skill level <laughs> to make one uh, and outside of my budget to buy one. But um, it's definitely something I want to do in the future. So if you are contemplating it, I would go ahead and get one. Um, as far as uh, like what configuration, I don't know. What do the Amazon ratings say? <laughs> you know, like how many stars does it have on Amazon? Is everybody happy with it? That's you know, I mean, you won't know until you, you get a, a piece into your still and you run it on your setup, because at this point, you know, pretty much everything on stills is so interchangeable with tri clamps that, um, you know, a setup that uh, you buy and your next door neighbor buys a, a very similar one in two years, they will look completely different because you both have different parts on them. So uh, you got to figure out how new parts run on your setup to decide whether or not you like them. But I think it improves the efficiency enough that it's definitely worth it. And, uh, you know, Jesse loves the hell out of putting plates on his. And honestly, that's enough for me. <laughs> that sells it for me. And a second part to his question. And he asked, which is your favorite style of bubble plates? And have you hypothetically used a bubble plate? Hypothetically, no. Um, I think I think if I were to go buy one right now, I would get the kind with the bubble caps instead of just the plate. Um, mm -hmm. Just because it, I don't know. I can't really pin down an answer on that one. It looks like it would be more efficient. Like it would, you would get mm -hmm. more interaction with the spirit that way than than just with a screen. 
So, mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Great. And then from Scott Clay, we have two questions. The first is, is your cookbook still available? No. No, it is not. No. no oh. Unfortunately. Uh, it will be uh, again someday, but um, uh, I had to... I had to pull it down because um, I, there's some things in it I want to rewrite. Uh, I'm not happy with the recipes that the way that I did them. And uh, so I want to redo them and then, uh, you know, revamp a couple of things in there and then I'll, I'll release it again, but don't worry. It'll, it'll, it'll come out again one of these days <laughs> and I will let everybody know. <laughs> um, and then last question also from Scott Clay. Um, and it was, did your interest in distilling grow out from your home brewing hobby or out from your professional background as a chef? I would say um, initially it was definitely because of the home brewing. Um, okay. The first time I made an all grain beer, I was like, well, this is kind of like how they make whiskey, isn't it? You know, it just okay. popped into my head as I'm, you know, stirring the mash. This is basically what they do for whiskey. I wonder if I could, if I could do this, if I could make my own whiskey, that'd be cool. And so I started researching it and, you know, found out very quickly it was illegal. And, uh, I was very dismayed, but it didn't do anything. It did not dampen my, my urge to continue learning about it at all. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, it, it has fueled all of my uh, personal vitriol for this stupid, stupid law. <laughs> I, I just, if, if you need somebody to rant about legalization, as you can tell, just ask me. Mm -hmm anything about it i'll talk for an hour <laughs> but um the 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 thing is as far as my um my culinary career coming into uh, affect the distilling uh yeah because um there's just so many weird things you, you can do in in uh, cooking and that idea of constantly exploring new ingredients from other parts of the world that you've never been to, but you tasted something from that part of the world. That's fascinating to me. And being able to bring that same philosophy into distilling or brewing, I think is absolutely, it's, it's, it's vital to keep things fresh and new and to learn new things. The, the video I did on Baiju, I can't even express to you, how strange it is to me that nobody's using baiju techniques here. Like, mm. why don't we do that? Why don't we do solid state distillation or solid state fermentation and then solid state distillation, dry distillations where you just have a pot full of water and a huge ass column packed with grain it's all been fermented. Now we have to extract all the, the alcohol out of the grain, the whole grain. It's not even ground up. It's not even cracked up. It's just been digested by mold for three months. That's fascinating. It is so weird, you know, but you can, you can get new things out of it that you never would have been able to get from a standard whiskey distill or whiskey fermentation, you know, a regular old whiskey mash fermentation using your malt enzymes you're not going to get the flavors it, and, and maybe what you're going to get out of this new technique or new ingredient is going to be amazing. 
you don't know until you try, but nobody's tried. And it just boggles my mind. There's that's the chef in me. Why haven't you tried this ingredient in your food? It's so good. You know, so, uh, yeah, I think I tend to get a little passionate about stuff like that for uh, because I, I, I don't ever believe in, in throwing something away or discounting a technique or ingredient just because it's not standard for what we do. You know, mm-hmm. that's the thing is, as as a craft distiller, you have a lot more freedom than a major distillery, a major distillery like, uh, you know, Diageo that owns every distillery on the planet almost, um, they don't experiment with anything. Not that we ever find out. If they do experiment with it, it's in a lab somewhere, and we never know about it. Like, have they figured out how to do uh, high-speed aging on a product with wood and light and sound and, and heat and pressure? Have they put those techniques together to figure out how to make a a 10 day old whiskey tastes like it's 15 years old, probably, but we never find out about it because they don't want to do it. They don't, they, they'd rather keep it over there in the cabinet and actually share that technique with other people. But, you know, and, and they're never going to make something out of an ingredient that is so obscure and only shows up for one month out of the year. But you guys at the craft distillery level or the craft brewery level, if there happens to be a weird berry that grows right next to the brewery, but it's only two weeks se- you know, for the season, you can go out there, you can pick it, and you can make a seasonal run that will never show up again unless you do it. You know, mm-hmm. That's the kind of power that you can get from these weird ingredients that nobody's ever heard of. And so, yeah, I'm sorry. I tend to go on. <laughs> That's all right. I'm sure Scott will be very happy with your answer at any rate. I hope so. I know he's been very excited. Uh, as soon as you announced the interview, he was very, very excited. He made several comments on my page about it. So yes. hope that helps you, Scott. Thanks for your enthusiasm, buddy. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for talking to me today, Bearded. Thank you so much for having me. I am really excited with how fast your channel is growing and all the cool things that you're doing on your channel. And I can't wait to see what you've got coming up. So thank you so much for having me on. And, um, if, uh, if I'm not mistaken, we have, we have a, an interview, you and I coming up for my channel, right? That's right. All That's right. right. <laughs> so, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna pick some brew bird brain, <laughs> get some advice, for okay. some, get some advice for some projects coming up for, uh, on uh, my channel and uh, I think um, I, I think I'm very I'm very positive about where, where the direction of your channel I'm really happy with uh, the way things are going for you and, and all the content that you have coming out every time you have a video come out I watch it and I'm just impressed so oh, thanks for well, having me on thank you yeah thank you so much <laughs> I'll see you soon all right talk to you later okay bye